At Operation Tango Romeo, we are on a mission to save lives and relieve pain by making help for PTS injuries easily accessible with a vision of a world where the path to recovery is clear. I am your OPSO, Mark Meinke, and this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Operation Tango Romeo is supported by Third Eye Insights in partnership with Miller's Lawyers. Third Eye Insights is a marketing agency specializing in creating content that connects with humans. They provide top-level logo and branding, website design, SEM and SEO, social media design and management, as well as print and promotional material. You can find them at thirdeyeinsights.ca. Miller's Lawyers is a top-level law firm led by my friend and fellow Army veteran, Philip Miller. Miller's Lawyers serves all of Canada with offices in Calgary, London, and Toronto. If you can't afford to lose, choose Miller's Lawyers. Visit them at millerslaw.com. That's M-I-L-L-A-R-S law.com. And hello, everybody. Today is show number one of two shows today. Uh, The next one will be live streaming starting at noon, if you're watching this live right now. I'm so glad to have my friend on the show, John Sr. It's been a while, brother. How you doing, man? Hey, man. And uh, you got me in the super secret man cave. Members only. (laughs) Members only. Only a handful of people on the planet know where you are right now. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and how to get there. So now yeah. it's a privilege to have been in that uh, museum that you've built there. It's pretty fantastic. That's awesome. Thanks. Of course, everybody listening on audio will have no idea what I'm talking about. But uh, for those that are watching the video, either on LinkedIn or Facebook, uh, they can they can see all the wonderful stuff that's behind you and above you there and all around you. Uh, John, last night we had um, our peer support group, and yeah. I was inspired to say, "Hey, I got to get John on here, and and recap uh, some of the stuff that that we were talking about." One of the things that I talk about a lot, and it keeps coming up on the show, and it keeps coming up at the Legion or any veterans get together, is who should and shouldn't get PTSD. Yeah, it's always the same conversation that we've heard so many times. And we've heard comments like, well, if you, if you weren't on tour, why would you have PTSD? If you were on tour, but you were behind the wire, if you never left camp, how could you have PTSD? And you did a brilliant job of covering that last night. So let's start with the numbers, John. Um, on a tour, the people outside the wire and the people inside the wire, what are the rates for um, PTSD diagnosis after? So I, I, I can't, I don't have the actual statistical papers in front of me, but, you know, when I was there in Kandahar at the time, reports came in and it was, they were saying that the troops OTW outside the wire were on average at the 7% range when they came back from tour within a six-month period or up to a six-month period return to Canada um, when they were RTU, like return to units, 7%. 
give or take. And uh, what they found was that the people that were wire monkeys or inside the wire guys had a much, much higher rate, nearly double. It was around the order of 13%, give or take, that they exhibited signs of uh, PTSD upon return home. And I was like, wow, that's just so crazy, right? So looking into it years and years later, what I figured, what I found out was it was that the cohorts made a massive difference. So the troops that are normally outside the wire, they're already working together prior to uh, selection to go overseas. And then it, then as a unit, they train and work up, and then they go on their leave, and they deploy all together. So they, they are, they're doing the whole thing as a cohort. Um, whereas most of the people that were wire monkeys or inside the wire or, or the, you know, the campers and that kind of stuff were individuals. So they, they were selected from other support units, parachuted into the combat team, and they just did their training, back to home, back to the training, back home. So they never really were fully integrated. Um, and those people are the ones that, that count for the much higher rates because they're in that combat zone individually by themselves. Um, I myself was on X-ray ramp with the, uh, with the helicopter wing, and I was attached to 408 Squadron. So I wasn't, even part of, I wasn't even part of that mothership itself. And so at the end of the tour, my PER reflected that I was attached to that unit. And even during that whole tour itself, I was, I was expendable. I was whatever it was, right? And I was really by myself. And so that is what the problem is, is, is when you look at that stuff, you're seeing that's why those numbers are so much higher because there is no cohort. There's no one to, as combat, our ex-combat arms, and I went Air Force afterwards, I seen the difference, the first-hand lived experience difference because Bosnia 1994, I was part of recce patrol, right? So we, we went out with our vehicles and we did our we did our regular patrols and stuff on a, on a regular basis. Same team, all that kind of stuff. We were shot at. I mean, in Bosnia 94, I was, dude, I can't remember how often, how frequently we were shot at on a regular basis. Yeah. But it didn't really matter, you know, because we, we drove together in the vehicles and our, and our teams, and we slept and together in the same seat cans or <laughs> the same vehicles. Whatever we did, we experienced together. So we're always able to laugh and joke around and decompress. And a part of that is kind of an example of unintentional unconscious peer support you don't even realize that that's what you're doing but the gallows humor um the the that shared experience and being with people that also understand that experience is a big part of how more people are able to get out of it more or less unscathed yeah one of the um being in in a peer support role as as a peer support guy um one of the things that we've both heard is what i had in the intro where people are saying well why would you have ptsd if you were just flipping pancakes behind the wire you didn't do what i did you didn't see what i saw and it's 
and you kind of understand where they're coming from, but it's just so wrong and unintentionally douchey, you know, when people mm-hmm. do that. Um, but the reason I wanted to have you on here today to sort of recap what we were talking about um, uh, last night was that it hit me last night that it's the ability to face it. So when you've had a a chance to face your fears, it's easier to deal with it. Um, I think about like when you were in Bosnia, I was in Croatia. So we were, you were on one side of the border. I was on the other. We were there at the same time, you know? Um, And I was an outside the wire guy for everything. And, the the cooks the way that uh, where the where the kitchen was up high on the second uh, level of this building they could see the main gate where we would be coming and going and I was QRF so quick reaction force for like half the tour which you're not supposed to do but we did and um, so the 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 alarm would go and uh, they'd see us ripping out and they'd never know what the hell is going on. Like, why, Mm -hmm. why are you uh, going out here at the high port? What's the emergency? And it would be us that would be dealing with it. And they are left with their imagination. They don't know. They don't know what it's like to hear the tink, tink, tink of the bullets bouncing off the carrier or any of that stuff. You know, and I think it's worse in your head than it is in real life. And so it's the imagination run wild because we lost cooks. Um, we, I don't know how many we lost, but uh, they, they did not make it through the entire tour. They would be sent home. They'd, they'd be flipping out and throwing knives in the kitchen. And um, they, they couldn't do it. But I, in my mind, that's why because they'd be imagining and not experiencing. And it's worse to imagine than it is to experience. So what they went through in their head was worse than what we were going through actually outside the wire operating. You know, um, you're hitting on the biggest part of this whole deal, the subject here right now, is the fear of the unknown. We inherently want answers. We want to know things. We want to see it for ourselves because it makes it tangible and it will, will either break it down or it would, it is as bad as we think it is one of the two. So we can confirm or deny when you, when you don't have that ability to confront. So those guys that are OTW kicking, kicking down the doors. Yeah. Okay. They're seeing the blood and gore and stuff, but they're doing it together they get to let loose bullets. Yeah. When I was in, when I was in Afghanistan in my bunk, rocked out of bed by a fucking rocket. Okay. I quite literally listened for 15 seconds. I put my earbuds back in, crawled back into bed, and went back to sleep. Because there was not a fucking thing I can do. Because there's already 50 people helping those guys that got hit by that rocket. What more can I fucking offer? What more can I fucking do? I was helpless. I couldn't fire back. I couldn't do anything. However, roll back to 1994, when we were outside, we had a, I had a big 76mm gun above my head as a driver of a Cougar. So we could return fire if we had to. That's the biggest, biggest difference. It's similar with uh, UN tours as opposed to a straight-up combat tour. Um, 
in Yugoslavia, when you and I were there, it was a UN mission. Uh, a couple of years later, it switched to a NATO mission. So the rules of engagement yeah. were different. The ROEs were different. And you could shoot back a little easier. Um, but we never had that clear line of when you could or couldn't uh, shoot back. And that was uh, that's something that, that eats you up because it also instills that helplessness. Mm-hmm. A, a year before you and I were there was uh, the Battle of Medek Pocket in Croatia, biggest battle since Croatia uh, since Korea, at the time when it happened, and uh, many stories of bravery from from that time and from that battle. But there were, and I'm not going to say the gore uh, here on the show, but. Uh, some of the people there that were in the second wave, like they were back from the fighting, which was the v- vast majority. Most were in, in um, outer cordon. They weren't in in the inner cordon uh, with the actual fight. The vast majority weren't. But the things that they saw uh, happening to the civilians that they were trying to save on the other side of the river and not being able to do fuck all about it uh, and hearing what was happening to them, but you couldn't do fuck all about it. That helplessness, that's brutal. You know, you, it, you it, it, it is so much better to fight and to get your nose bloodied and, and to get in it than to be on the outside watching it happen and not being able to do fuck all about it. That's, um, that's, the, that's the brutality of being on a UN tour. It's, I wouldn't wish it on anybody. Yeah, it's forced, it's forced uh, helplessness. Right, uh, and, and there's not a fucking thing can do about it. I mean, I remember the ROEs we had, and we had to carry them in our left pocket. You know, one month they were a yellow card, next month they were a blue card, a booklet, I should say, like a miniature booklet that was laminated. And we had to follow those every single time. When I went back to Bosnia, my second tour, it's when we changed from the United Nations into NATO. And there's a very big difference, and you're absolutely right, Mark. The difference that it made with that force helplessness versus the ability to defend yourself or your buddy made an absolute difference in the whole world. Or the, the locals, second tour, you know, I, or, or the locals. I mean, at the time, yeah. uh, I still hate the term ethnic cleansing. It just bothers me to my bones because it was fucking genocide is what it was. Mm-hmm. And yeah. uh, of Muslims, uh, for the, for not exclusively, but it was uh, both Croats and Muslims. Mm-hmm. And... Um, Calling it anything else is just euphemistic. It's terrible. And uh, being able to be that barrier between the people that want to do the killing and the people that are just trying to get through the day, um, being able to do that properly, to say, no, no genocide today. You don't get to kill this village today. And being able to stand firmly and and assert yourself to keep those people alive that's um you know that's what we're supposed to be there for but we yeah. weren't always empowered to act like that you know doing peer support mark i i still see so many people from back in the day when it was un to have so much more baggage yeah. so many more issues so much more guilt as compared to the lived experience again when I was there as NATO in 97, um, 
we went I went there as S four, just after the after the Americans rolled in and did the I four thing and stuff. So I was there as S four, and the difference again and. Uh, now that you brought it up with the population as well, the confidence of the population beside us that we're in there integrated with, they also can see the difference too. They had a lot more confidence because under the UN rule, we were absolutely helpless to do anything. I mean, we we watch people get raped. You can't do a damn thing about it. You, people are hurt. You can't do anything about it until you get that phone call from higher, right? But meanwhile, you're sitting there doing nothing. And we had an airplane... Uh, we had a specter floating above us for, for over 36 hours because they couldn't find a fucking tank. But yet we were, sta- we were sitting here staring right at this T-55 tank in front of us in a, in a demilitarized zone <laughs> right by, by OP Papa and Mike. Nothing. Not a fucking thing. So we were, we're sitting here helpless, you know. And then the tank is shooting people and we're watching the ambulance get blown up. And like, like, what can you do? We couldn't do a fucking thing. We couldn't do a goddamn thing, you know. So years later, you're sitting here, and and these, and this real this film keeps glitching. It plays for a few stretch, and then it glitches back, and it plays for a stretch, and it glitches back. And, and so again, you know, being outside the wire versus inside the wire, being support staff versus not support staff, makes no difference. I mean, trauma is trauma. When you look at the actual mechanism of what it is, it starts off as an OSI, and then it rolls into PTSD. And then it gets reaffirmed um, that it's PTSD because now you're going to get that sanctuary trauma because that institution where you got injured in is like, hey, for your safety, we're going to remove you out of here. We're going to put you in the desk job. You're going to fly that for a while. So that all adds up at the end of the day to the severity of your PTSD. And again, no matter what you call it, it's just a DSM diagnosis. And the DSM is shit, really. Um, <laughs> fucking rights it is yeah. the, 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 garbage. The, it's garbage the, the DSM is nothing more but that, but a book full of egos that uh, wanted yeah. to come up with I mean you got to call t- uh, something something but when you're doing your PhD or whatever um, every it's no different than the ring knocking engineers everybody wants to invent something or discover something and have their name yeah. attached to it all the astronomers they look in the sky and they go oh, I found a new system and it's going to be called the Mark system yay you know I have a galaxy named after me aren't I important so uh, the DSM is the same it's just jam packed full of fucking egos of people that want to say I discovered that, you know, and I'm going to write a book about it. And yeah. uh, but at the same time, to be fair, you, you still have to call something something. Um, but but the DSM should be a general guide, not a Bible. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, you know what? You're absolutely hitting that. I went and I I finally got my hands on a copy of the DSM revised edition, updated uh, the the fifth uh, the fifth edition. And you know what, Mark? You're absolutely right. It, it, what it is, it's a bunch of, it's a community of people that say, okay, we're going to sit down and we're going to study paranoid personality disorder. So they write that section. And then you have another research group that writes a section on something else and something else and something else. So it's just a collective, a collective uh, an agreement on, from psychologists and psychiatrists that sit down and say, okay, in order for a person to qualify for this, they have to have these particular things here. Problem with PTSD being inlaid within that is it's different for everybody. What does di- di- DSM stand for? I, I forgot to translate for the people. Diagnostic Statistical Manual. Yeah. 
So it's yeah. it, it's the book of diag- uh, diagnostics that um, shrinks use. Just to say, yeah. uh, okay, well, here's the score, and uh, this isn't PTSD. This is an OSI. Or, uh, but at the end of the day, you're are you are you in pain? <laughs> you know, like it hurts or it doesn't, mm. and um, it's affecting you or it's not. You're healthy or you're not, and and that's it. You know, um, sticking a label on it uh, might be useful from a diagnostic perspective so you have a better idea of of what to do about it but um you're hurting or you're not and if you're hurting you deserve help regardless of what caused that pain if you're in pain you deserve help period Uh, the uh, one of the you know um i know we're kind of straying from where we started but part of the issue here we're using the dsm is you got someone who's got no experience about what it is to to frontline, okay? So yeah. either soldier or your frontline police or your frontline fire, whatever it is, okay? You wonder whoever's frontlining. The book doesn't accommodate for that. It's up to the shrink that is diagnosing you to understand that. And so I remember at first I was like, okay, um, you've, you've got a really strong streak of narcissism and you can't adapt into society, so you've got a little bit of disassociative disorder going on here and stuff. The thing is, Without understanding frontlining, okay, it's they're they're going to start focusing, and they have focused on the wrong issues, and then the PTSD portion of it just fucking wanders. The problem is, the longer you leave it untreated or unrecognized, the, the this the harder it is to get unstuck. Yeah, and the reason being is because that guilt and shame stuff that the stuff that just recycles in the back of your brain, it's just loading up that, that backpack on you of guilt and shame or whatever it is, or stigma, or whatever it is you're going to fucking carry, is just still loading, and it's not unloading. And all the stuff here, I've figured this out over years, right? And I, and I, I was taking a bit of a psychology course, no, not psychology, sorry, I was going to do social working for a little while. And they wanted me to do five fucking courses in each semester. And I'm like, holy crap, I can't do that. I don't have the ability. Sorry. Oh, just lost you there, John. Well, we've lost John Sr. for a moment. Uh, If you're just tuning in, this is Operation Tango Romeo, the Trauma Recovery Podcast. Hopefully John will be back to us in a second here. Yeah, still don't hear you, brother. Ah, shit balls. <laughs> All right, well, we're going to uh, uh, pull the plug for now and uh, uh, probably bring John back on in a bit. Thank you for tuning in. And, oh, hang on, maybe he's back. <laughs> shit. <laughs> okay, I'm going to pull the plug and we'll try it again. But uh, thanks for tuning in. This is a conversation with John Sr., Peer support leader. Technology is so much fun when it works. <laughs> Welcome back, John. Okay. Sorry about that. Um, yeah, well, we'll get that sorted out for next time. Um, so what we were saying essentially was when I was diagnosed, you know, they're, 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 he said, uh, there's narcissism in here and there's this and that and other kind of stuff. The problem was essentially was that the PTSD portion was 
being overshadowed by the by the shrink until the other stuff was done not realizing that's part of our environment right when you're when you're at that first responder level everything is heightened and you have to be better than and you have to be more accountable more this more that and you, your your confidence level is so much more assured and stuff like that right so that's just the way it is a firefighter has to believe that he is that fucking good um, a, a police officer has to believe they're that confident and blah, blah, blah. And then the list goes on and on, right? It doesn't take away from the fact that they are suffering from an OSI that was going to, like, most likely going to roll into PTSD. Well, I think it's the power of another part of the efficacy of peer support groups is that when you have a psychologist or a therapist and they just don't have the ability because they there's no way to learn certain things so they're sitting with you and they're looking for a dsm diagnosis and how to act and react based on that diagnosis and and yet they don't really understand at a deeper level what is actually going on and why it's happening if they don't have Mm -hmm. that ability to to connect i mean how do you treat something that you don't understand and Whereas in peer support, the most that sense of connection comes back to you, and you don't feel like you're crazy. You realize, like, oh, these things that I'm going through and experiencing, you're going through something similar. It's never the same, but it, it's similar, and for the same reasons. And unfortunately, uh, peer support can also be like a bunch of uh, kids teaching each other sex education because of a hustler they found in their dad's garage, right? <laughs> Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's not to say that they're wrong. You know, the penis goes in the vagina. It's not that complicated. Um, and for PTSD, it's like, well, these are the things that I experienced. It over, it, it simply caused overload. And when you overload, and it short circuits and, and causes injury. And this is what the symptoms yeah. of those injuries look like. So it's not drastically unlike uh, a bunch of grade seven kids teaching each other sex education. You know, it's uh, right. And and that's the thing that, you know, what? think of bringing that up. And it's so important to really, truly understand is I am not saying that we don't need shrinks ever. Right. And I don't want anyone ever thinking that whatsoever either. And you're so right. It's that's exactly what's going on here for the most part is we're all teaching each other certain things, but we still need the shrinks. You still have to have them because you're not going to get better by just pure support. We are just one spoke of the wheel of healing, right? And it's that understanding of stuff so we can take it to our to our professionals, our clinical care pr- uh, providers, so that we can get things fixed properly. And the more we understand our, about ourselves, the more we can help ourselves. And... Whether it be, no matter what type of help that you're looking for, remember that it, not everybody's created equal. So if you go to mm-hmm. a therapist of some sort and it doesn't work out, that's probably just the therapist uh, or the relationship, you know. Keep trying. Keep your feet moving. Try something else. Do yeah. something different. And it's also with peer support groups. If you go to one and that just doesn't uh, work for you, well, Go to a different one. They all have a different flavor. I'm a member of three different ones, and uh, they all mm-hmm. have a different flavor. Uh, some will resonate with you, some will not. 
Um, it also brings us to the point of how important it is to not fuck it up with a peer support group or even when it's not a group, if when it's one-on-one peer support. Because we've both seen people fuck it up. You have to realize <laughs> that you are in a very, very vulnerable position when somebody is trying to lean on you. It is so easy to screw it up. So, John, let, let's uh, talk about some ways that people have screwed it up and the consequences yeah. of that. Um, denial is the biggest thing, Mark, is when they're not ready mm. and they and they try to tell you you're wrong kind of stuff, I just yeah. usually just drop the rope and let it go. And I've had people come back a couple of years later going like, dude, I had no fucking idea. And I'm like, I know, I'm sorry. That, I'm sorry it took you that long to figure it out. Um, sometimes they, they don't want to hear what the shrink has to say or what I have to say. That's the biggest way to fuck it up. The yeah. other thing is not doing your research. Um, you, when you go to peer support or you go to a shrink, you got to do your fucking research because my very first person I encountered, she just came out of school. She's like, oh, I never had one of you before. And I'm like, and you're not. I'm not going to be your brand new shiny pink elephant either. So we're out. We're done. And I went three years before getting any help. Oh, man. Because there was just no one there available, right? So sometimes it does take time. And, and honestly, you have to be open-minded. You have to find someone through word of mouth more normally, most of the time it is through word of mouth to find that right doctor or that right peer support group person. Yeah. Thing, Cause it, cause either it it's the wrong group for you or you're the wrong person for that group or you're just not ready. Yeah. Or the three there things. Has to be a match. Yeah, yeah. It has to be a match and you have to be ready yourself. Like when the student is yeah. ready, the teacher will appear, but I, uh, and I'm glad that we, we covered that. What I was intending to mm-hmm. cover though is, uh, from a peer supporter rule, how can a peer supporter screw it up? Like, how can you be a bad peer supporter? Thinking you know more than you do yeah. is, is really a bad thing. Um, getting, getting that godlike complex is a really bad thing. You got to stay humble. You have to listen to your people, when you stop listening to the to the other peers that you're that you're helping and guiding, you're you're finished. Your role is done, kind of thing. Because you, as a peer support person, you are walking beside them. You are listening to them, and when you start guiding them and pointing them in directions, and you start becoming the parent instead of the peer, that's how you're fucking it up big time. Yeah. And, you, and um, you have to have a certain level of self-awareness yourself before you can you be a truly good peer supporter. What I, um, one of the ways I've heard people fuck it up all the time is by minimalizing and trivializing the experience yeah. of others because what they're actually doing is sorting their own shit out or trying to. You yeah. know, they, they, they're trying to validate their own experience by trivializing and minimalizing your experience. They don't know that that's what they're doing, but that's what they're fucking right. doing. And I know we've both seen that. I've, you know, um, I've, I've gone in to pick up people from groups that have, that have stove pipes. And that's when they close ranks and they maintain just the same people, you know, same, like say eight, 10, 12 people kind of thing. And it, be, it soon becomes that group against the rest of the world because no one else fucking gets it. Bullshit. When that starts happening, that's a problem. You can't stovepipe and, and everything else. You have to listen. The biggest, you know what? 
I got to say this, the biggest learning curve for me was when I had a corrections officer from Manitoba come into my group after I went from OSIS to OSI CAN. And the learning curve was just tremendous for me. I was like, holy shit, holy shit, the more things we think things are differently, the more they're the same. Trauma is trauma. And so now I'm taking care of fire, EMS, police, RCMP and stuff. And it's like, and corrections. And it's like, holy crap. So you gotta, you gotta be open-minded. When you start being closed-minded, you're fucking it up. Going back to uh, part one, for for those that are just tuning into this one, we did a, (laughs) we did a part one and then uh, we had a technical issue, but we were talking about inside the wire people versus outside the wire people people and the douchebaggery mm-hmm. that goes on with minimalizing and trivializing those that weren't outside the wire um, yeah. and why that's wrong. Uh, so going into the, using the exact same story in the first responder world, um, mm-hmm. inside the wire would be dispatchers, 911 operators, um, that, uh, those types of folks. Uh, that are often yeah. for, uh, forgotten about. Outside the wire is everybody else, uh, from tow truck drivers that are always get missed. I mean, think about mm-hmm. the shit that tow truck drivers have to deal with. Um, corrections yeah. officers, people don't realize the the level of hypervigilance that you have to be at to survive as a corrections officer, uh, just waiting in uh, that type of environment all day, every day for 20 years. I mean, that's going to do something yeah. to you. Think, think about this for a second, you know. We did talk about last night briefly about a 911 operator. Jesus, think about yeah. it. They don't belong to fire, police, or so they don't belong to a parent unit, okay? They're just a 911 operator, just an operator. They're just a 911 operator. That's it. So they're minimizing themselves right there already. And, and all they're hearing is a very snippet of someone's life at a very critical moment, all the time, they don't get the chances to follow up afterwards. Um, uh, you know, uh, EMS. Okay, there, there's, there's someone is either lost a fucking limb or having a heart attack or something seriously bad has happened to them. How often do they get to to see the end result? Now, when I was outside the wire back in '94, I got to see the results. You know, I got to see these things. We got to engage. We got to follow through and everything else. So many frontline workers don't get that opportunity so they're living with all these either audio ghosts or visual ghosts or just the there's so many different types of ghosts that these guys just fucking living with and they, they can't have close just the loop. trauma they don't get the chance to close the loop exactly mark yeah, yeah. and that's it mm-hmm. well john that's what i wanted to cover uh or yeah. is there anything else we should be covering here before we uh wrap her up uh, we probably should wrap it up for now and come back and revisit this a little bit later with uh, when we have a little more technical stability. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, we'll have you back in studio. And, uh, for sure. <laughs> uh, for the people tuning in right now, um, what, what is today? Today's Wednesday? Uh, yeah. At noon today, I'll be uh, live streaming with General Rick Hillier. And uh, Rick's going to be on the show for the first time. Pretty excited about it. He's kind of a big deal. Yeah, Former CDS. And, um, but yeah, John, thank you for your continued service with uh, the peer support groups. If somebody wants to uh, reach out to you, how do they get a hold of you to say, Hey, I'd like to try out this peer support thing through OSI? Um, can? They can either, 
they can get through, oh, yeah, always I can for sure. Uh, they can contact you on your podcast because, I mean, a lot of my guys rely on your podcast, and uh, I think we have a great working relationship together. Um, yeah, always I can. Just go on the, on the website, always I can for Alberta and the Calgary area, and you can find me, no problems. All right. Brother, please stay on the line. Absolutely. You're listening to Operation Dango Romeo, the Drama Recovery Podcast for veterans, first responders, and their families. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. Now, I've got a favor to ask you. And I know everybody asks for the same favor, but it's really, really important. If you can help, do your little bit by going to Apple Podcasts, leaving a rating and a comment. That would be awesome. Also, on your favorite podcast platform, whether that be Spotify, Anchor, Google Podcasts, or whatever floats your boat and blows your hair back, please click follow. And if there's an option there for rating, please do so. And this is why. Every time you click like, leave a rating, leave a comment, what happens is that it makes it easier for other people to find this podcast. The help that you can't find doesn't help at all. So help other people find this so that they can help themselves. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And as always, share, share like the sugar bear because sharing is caring.